This podcast is brought to you by Civic Tech Innovation Network in partnership with Voice of Vids. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Civic Tech in Africa podcast. I am your host, Natim Tegwa. I'm delighted that you've joined us once again for another episode. We have a very interesting guest for you today. Uh, but before we get into that, I want to encourage you to rate and review our podcast. We've been doing this for a year now, and would love to hear from you. Just, you know, general feedback about what you think of the podcast. Anything that, you, that comes to mind that you want to say to us or say about the podcast, please leave your comments on Spotify, on Apple podcast it also be very helpful for the podcast if you rated us on either spotify and apple podcast so thank you very much for doing that in advance today we're talking data design technology and everything in between it's 2022 and and there's lots of talk about how we now live in a data-driven world uh, this is driven, of course, by the information overdrive we find ourselves in. Almost everything that we do in the digital revolution generates unbelievable volumes of data. And many of us find ourselves in the dark about when the data is collected, how that data is processed, and how it's ultimately used. And if you've been paying attention in the last five to 10 years, you will know that there has been questionable means of collection and the uses of data, among which is the invisibilization of historically marginalized communities in Africa. Today, we're talking about an initiative called Policy, founded in Uganda. Policy is a feminist collective of technologists, data scientists, creatives, and academics working at the intersection of data design and technology to craft better experiences for tech users. I've loved watching the work that Policy have been doing and highlighting some of the best ways we should be interacting with data, specifically on the African continent. It's my absolute delight to welcome Philip Ayazika on the podcast. Philip is program manager at Policy. He joins us to talk about the work he's doing with Policy and some of the more interesting collaborations and projects they have been uh, getting up to. It's nice having you here, Philip. Uh, how are you doing? I'm live in Kampala and thank you so much for having me. Yes, coming to us from Kampala. Before we begin, please tell us about yourself and the work that you do at, at Policy right now. We have been looking forward to it, but I'm glad it's happening finally. Uh, this podcast is happening. And thank you so much, Nati, for the great work that you're doing. And congratulations. I'm glad to hear you've been doing this for a year. Thank you so much for you know, bringing the conversation and demystifying the conversation on uh, you know, civic tech, data, technology. You know, thank you so much. Uh, my name is Philip Ayazika. I work with Policy. We are based in Uganda, Kampala. Policy is an award-winning Pan-African feminist civic technology collective. Uh, so we are a collective of, you know, technologists, academics, creatives, and data scientists working at the intersection of data, design, and technology to craft better life experiences for citizens, especially through how they use data and technology to interact with their government and policymakers. We are a feminist uh, organization, so that's very important for us. Uh, we are a team, you know, women-led team with over 25 members across eight countries. So that's really who we are. You know, our work and research, uh, we, you know, again, like I said, data, our work and research spans across the use of data and technology to engineer social change. So we research ways and implement projects and uh, initiatives through which Africans can take back control of their data and reimagine new ways of technology, you know, take ownership. We are, you know, deep, deep, deeply inspired by, you know, and driven by the mission to advance how data is conceptualized, used, and reproduced, you know, for the development of just societies. Before we begin, and, and I know you've kind of got into the work that you're doing with policy, 
but I think it's very interesting for me to kind of hear from people because I think there's been uh, quite a debate. I don't know if it's, it's an existing debate, but I know among some of our peers that the definition of civic tech is debated as to this is what it is, this is not what it is. Do you, do you have any definition for yourself what civic technology is? Uh, thank you so much, Nati. I mean, uh, for me, it's, it, it is what it is. Um, civic technology for me, and from where I stand in my context, in my perspective, and the people I work with, civic tech is really about, you know, you know, enhancing the relationship between the people and the government. It could be through, you know, technology, various technology initiatives, communication softwares, you know, it could be about data platforms, it could be about decision making. It is just those tools that are present for us. But I think as we speak about civic tech, it's important that we look out for the civ, the, you know, the civic in the technology. Yes. Very important. Uh, because many of the times, you know, we've talked about civic technology, civic technology, and we've not taken time to, you know, look out for where is the civic in the, in the technology. Uh, it is always important for us, and, and, and especially in the work that you do as policy, we try to be as inclusive as possible. You know, we try to investigate the civic in the technology and also determining whether we are developing civic technology for inclusive community participation. And again, when you talk about civic technology, participation is essential in all this. So that's what it really means. And you know, I've been quite interested in the work that policy has been doing of late because it's such important work that uh, policy does, especially because policy is helping us highlight the best ways we can interact with data, particularly how data can be ethical in its use and, and, and in its collection. And this is what you, you mentioned earlier as the feminist uses of data. Can you tell me about that feminist angle at which uh, policy is approaching things and, and why that was what was important as a starting point for policy? So that's a very good question. As an organization and also a tech organization that works at the intersection of you know, data, design, technology, why we chose this format of working is because the technology conversation is always very limiting. Yeah. And uh, it, uh, it's, it's in, it, it leaves out the biggest population of, of the people we work with. When we get to the conversation on technology, there's so much jargon, there's so much technicalities that, uh, you know, we throw around words. I mean, even in civic technology, we throw around words that uh, tend to push people on the peripheries, you know. You know, when we're talking about data, you know, data protection, this and that, you know, there's AI, you know, machine learning. So technology can seem to be a very complicated thing. Why we choose the format of, you know, uh, how policy works is because there was a need to demystify the conversation or what I would say decolonize the conversation of, on technology, but also data. Our feminist methodologies really focus on, you know, data feminism, which we, we are aiming at offering strategies for data scientists seeking to learn how, you know, feminists can help them work towards uh, justice and for feminists who want to focus their efforts on growing the field of data science. The data space really has a lot so much to offer. Again, we know feminism is about, you know, pushing for, you know, equality and just making sure women, girls are part of the conversation. So when we reimagine and look at, you know, you know, data in the feminism angle, then we are able to come up with, uh, you know, working solutions, working strategies that are going to help us work towards, you know, a just society. So very, I mean, it's very interesting that policies really focused on influencing a data culture, right? And is influencing the behavior in which we practice and in which we collect data, all that stuff. So a lot of the stuff you're talking about is just influencing data culture. And, and one of the ways in which uh, I've seen uh, policy do this is using 
artistry. So art as a way of communicating, talking about data. I know in 2020, during the pandemic, there was this um, uh, initiative for artists talking about their issues with mental health. But also there's other ways that you are doing, you're using art to kind of just communicate what data says about them. Could you just tell us a little bit about that and, and how far you've, you've gone with this? Like I said, again, our work function is uh, just the intersection of data design and technology. Yes. So what we do, we do lots of research. You know, some of the research we've done, we've done uh, in, uh, in our works has been unprecedented. You know, we've done work research in an African context because most of the research we've consumed, you know, especially when it comes to tech and data has been Western informed. You know, it's been uh, research that has been, you know, done in the Western world and kind of superimposed down on us. So we are always looking out for creative ways. Yeah, as, as you try to be as creative as possible when it comes to communicating, you know, some of this research and just making sure that it works for our people, it works for the Africans, it works for quoting post the vulnerable communities that we are tending to work with towards, you know, just making sure that the part of this conversation. So we've always employed, you know, creative tools. Uh, artistry is one of them. We've gamified data, we've gamified technology, and I can later on tell you about some other initiatives we've been working on, you know, gamifying issues like uh, digital safety, coming up with digital safety games, you know, coming up with uh, games on uh, misinformation and fake news. We try to be as creative as possible. Now, during the pandemic, we were looking out for the best ways, you know, best entertaining ways, best edutainment, edutainment ways to put out research or put out you know, data, you know, findings in the most creative ways. So we've previously run a couple of projects. I think the first one that we did before the pandemic, it was called Create Your Kampala. Uh, again, you know, Kampala is the capital city of Uganda. What we're trying to communicate, we're using data artistry. So we're using the statistics of data and design and artistry to be able to remind citizens of what their civic duties are, but also what their civic roles are when it comes to you know, designing service delivery in their communities and holding their leaders accountable. And we said, how best do we do this? You know, we're not going to do a research and then put out a paper and print a book and take it to the people to read and understand their role. No, that doesn't work anymore. We need to get as creative as possible. So we said, how about we design murals in these communities? So what we did, we set out, did community barazas or community dialogues on the various aspects of, you know, uh, service deliver when it comes to health, when it comes to education, when it comes to infrastructure and security, and try to understand where are the gaps, what are the perceptions of the citizen when it comes to service delivery. And what we found out was there was, um, you know, that apathy when it comes to, you know, certain communities, so that has especially social, social or economically excluded, uh, what we tend to call the slums, they tended to think they don't have a right to some of these services. Right. And when you go right. and ask them, but are you asking your leaders for these things? They say, but we don't have the power. Yeah. So what this project set out to do was to use art and make these people part of the conversation and say, guys, even when you don't have access to a parliamentarian, you can use your community, you can use your art. So we worked with artists, we worked with local leaders, we worked with women groups to put out you know, artwork and murals in community, calling their leaders, paying, uh, shining a light and, and, and sending messages on some of the gaps that when it comes to service delivery that existed in their communities. And it worked. You know, we saw, you know, the media pay attention to these things. And then we saw uh, their leaders come to, you know, answer certain questions. So for us, it has seemed to work because then art is a universal language. You know, a mirror is a universal language, regardless of someone, whether someone went to school, regardless of someone, whether someone is a child, whether someone is an old person. Art is a universal language, as we have tended to use yes. um, We've also employed it uh, to have co and, uh, conversations about some of the uncomfortable, you know, 
what seems to be uncomfortable conversations to be had in communities. Uh, in the wake of COVID-19, the conversation on mental health resurfaced. Yes, yes, but then yes. when, when you look at our local communities, mental health has been looked at as an alien conversation, you know, a Western conversation that doesn't apply to the African context. So we said, how best do we deliver the conversation on mental health? How best do we send a message to the, you know, the policymakers, uh, to the communities, ask them to play a greater role when it comes to you know, mental health support? So what we did, again, we are uh, following up on the research because all our interventions and our projects are data informed, they're research informed. We set out again to work with creative communities you know, through art, so through mirrors, through songs, through drama, to put out information when it comes to mental health. And the idea was to change people's perceptions and tell them, hey guys, look here, mental health is not an alien issue. All of us have gone through mental health. We partnered with several psychosocial support systems and organizations that were doing mental health work to do pro bono work and speak to communities and show them that, guys, you need to pay attention to your mental health. Because again, we can't be you know, doing work around you know, digital freedoms and this and that without when we're ignoring the basic, basic rights of human beings. So yeah. this is how yeah. we employed, you know, artistry, you know, and just merged it with data and technology to be able to, you know, tackle some of the social issues and bring about change in our community. I really love that you, you are working to make things as accessible as possible because I think many of us would do research, put out a paper, and that's it. But you guys are like, we're going to do research, but we're going to make it understandable. We're going to make it accessible for the people that uh, this is meant for in any case. Right. I think so many of us can be stuck in our very academic ways and not uh, really care about other people accessing the data or the information uh, that they need. So I, I really love that project. And I always love watching uh, some of the very artistic stuff that you put out on, 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 on your social media. I think it's, it's really, really well done. I want to speak about the region that you're working in East Africa. I know that you had data fest right now. So it was happening across different countries, if, if I'm understanding this correctly. It was fascinating how many um, you know, events we're able to, to have over, I think, the cost of a month or, or over that. Just tell me about some of the conversations that were coming out of there and, 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 and just how, how interesting that, that, that festival was. Dataverse uh, has been a, a journey that we've been on, I think, since about 2019. Um, so the whole idea be behind DataFest, which is again the, a data festival, so we tend to annually celebrate the wins, but also do a retrospective and look back on how far we have come um, in terms of data, the data conversation. When we started out with DataFest, it was a pretty much, and even now, I mean, when you speak about data, there's lots of populations that will quickly, their minds will switch to data bundles, you know. Right. <laughs> I don't know if that makes sense. Yes, um, yeah. So again, in our quest to make the conversation as simple as possible, as inclusive as possible, but also engage a broader community beyond our social media platforms and, you know, and the games we design. We want to take the conversation to the people. So DataFest started out in 2019 as a convening, an annual convening for, you know, data scientists, academicians, policymakers, you know, government, and everyday people to just come together and meet, you know, the various innovations that are being had on data, but also have a conversation on data and ask the questions, dance, ask the uncomfortable questions, and just have people make commitments and follow up on them. So for a long time, we, we had named it DataFest Kampala. It happened around Kampala, you know, the capital city. And then for several times, we had to ship people from outside Kampala to just come and be part of the conversation. And then this year, we said, how best do we, you know, take the conversation to the grassroots? You know, we have engaged several communities over time. 
how do we empower them to be part of this conversation and you know have the conversations at the regional level so we just want to take the conversation closer to them so this year we set out to just have a broader conversation so we named we rebranded to dataface africa uh you know after doing dataface kampala for a long time and the conversation this year was about big data little data and everything in between and again in our quest to be as inclusive as possible because again when you start having a conversation on big data ai you know how data is used by the you know big tech organizations like the facebooks and twitter again you're leaving out several people there but also you're missing the point yeah because whereas you know you you know cti cti and you you nati and i policy philip can have a conversation on how facebook is using our data and how you know some of these issues are coming up and the abortion laws and this and that so so things like those for some people that is the conversation they just want to have they just they don't want to talk about how facebook is using their data because that that can tend to be a senior conversation they just want to say how can we use data or how can our local governments you know use data to better service delivery that i don't have to you know carry 20 papers just to get one government document they just want to get to a point where they tell their leaders that as long as i have a national id i should be able to access all government services I should be able to get to the airport. I should be able to, you know, get to the hospital. It's as simple as that. Right. So what we do is uh, to set out the conversation to look at small data. And now small data is the, you know, small small data that in the house of hands of small household. You know, when it comes to a person who owns a small business, when it comes to a, a family that is trying to do a business, you know. And then we had, uh, you know, big data, little data, small data, big data, and everything in between. And then we had the conversation on big data. You know, then uh, we're talking about big governments at you know national level and regional level, and also the interactions. You know, you know, big tech organizations. You know, ethical ethicality of it, how much data they're collecting, the likes of Facebook. Those are the conversations we're having, and then we had the element of everything in between. So some of the themes that came up to this after this conversation was again the data protection. I think within the East African region, and I don't know about the South African and you know West African regions, there's been uh, lots of rallying. You know, governments to you know, put in place data protection legislation. So the conversation on data protection legislation came up so much. You know, we've had, you know, in the region issues like the Huduma, you know, the Huduma saga that was happening in Kenya. So these were the conversations we are having, you know, just bringing together citizens to speak to their, you know, poli uh, policy makers, to speak to the government about some of the emerging issues. Right. Yeah. I mean, I know that data first, the conversation was happening, I think, in Nigeria, and it was kind of happening everywhere. Do you know what kind of conversations and how far we are in terms of civic tech initiatives? Do you know how many initiatives there are in that part of the continent? Do you know how big the conversations are on that part of the continent as yet? I think the conversation on civic technology is no longer an alien conversation. We're looking at East Africa, of course, I could point you to some of the initiatives that we've done internally as policy. You know, I've spoken a lot around them. You know, uh, there's also tools like Waiters, uh, which was an open source online and mobile tool, you know, serving individuals and, you know, survivors of human trafficking, which has gone ahead to be, you know, adopted by the Coalition Against Trafficking in Persons in Uganda you know, working with uh, the Ministry of Internal Affairs, the Immigration Department, and the Coordination of Trafficking in Persons Office. We've also had, you know, mentioned about the digital safety games, games that are, you know, trying to, you know, tackle emerging issues when it comes to online safety, things like choose your own fake news, you know, uh, a choose your own ad adventure game, which is trying to help people navigate the world of disinformation and misinformation to help them make choices when it comes to issues like job opportunities, vaccines and elections, things like those. So I think the conversation mm -hmm. at, at the East African level, and I speak 
this as a civic tech organization policy, but also as a regional ambassador for the you know civic tech initiative network. I think just now there are Kenyan elections happening. We know of initiatives like Ushahidi that are that are, are, are taking center stage when it comes to election, you know, monitoring and putting in place situation rooms and just having people report sagas when it comes to violence or uh, violation of human rights or, you know, things like those emerging issues when it comes to elections. Yeah. Uh, still in yeah. Kenya, we have initiatives like Code for Africa that have, have put out very many amazing initiatives like Wana Data, Pesa Yetu, you know, tools that are, are helping citizens track where their money is going. So as a citizen, you're paying taxes, but does anyone ever come out to answer the question of where is my money going exactly? You know, when we have, every time they're reading the budgets, and I know this is everywhere, you know, there's, there's all these numbers, big numbers being thrown around. So health sector is getting these billions of money, but does that information relate to the citizen? How can we design tools that can help a citizen actually track their money and, you know, you know play a greater role when it comes to, you know, knowing where their money is going. So we have initiatives like Pesa Yetu from Code for Africa. Um, we have in Uganda, we have Parliament Watch, you know, platforms that are linking citizens to the parliament and just understanding what exactly is happening. Is my, my member of parliament speaking on the floor? Are my issues being taken to the floor of parliament? We have to always have communications in Uganda, you know, tending to, again, demystify the conversation on some of the policies that are happening and just getting citizens feedback and fitting it back, to, taking it back to the policymakers. We have organizations like SEMA that are putting, uh, you know, low resource, low technology resource tools at, you know, doing exit interviews at ministries, at airports, and just making sure that all feedback is captured from the citizen when it comes to the services they're receiving. So I think where, from where I stand within the East African region, and this is one of my role as a rap or a regional ambassador, is to, you know, scout and see what initiatives are coming up within the, the region how can we, you know, understand synergies or find synergies and collaboration tools and then get to a point where we, we work on initiatives that are global or continental and get out of our comfort zones where we are designing for only Uganda, you know, because our problems are the same, really. Uh, misinformation is all over the continent. It's all over the region. When you talk about, you know, uh, misuse or corruption is all over the region. So how do we build tools? How do we understand synergies and build a community around, you know, civic and, and, I'm, and I'm glad you guys are doing, you know, creating this community so that we build tools that are scalable, uh, that react or, you know, tend to tackle all issues. At, uh, at no, I mean, I, I just want to, you know, uh, because you've been helping us collect the data on, uh, on, on civic tech initiatives in, in East Africa, and so have the other uh, regional ambassadors. So I want to encourage um, our listeners to go to our website, civictech.africa. We have an, an incredible database of initiatives from the whole continent. And so there, there's so much learning you can do from reading about these organizations. And it, it kind of helps you as well to not repeat the same mistakes that other people have done. Or also to kind of just know where to go to, to, to consult about whatever initiative you're trying to come up with, or, you know, if you need help with your own initiatives. Um, and, and we're going to close, we're going to close very quickly. Uh, Philip, but I, I just want to you to reflect on on just the kind of uh, impact you've had uh, as policy on the ground. What kind of feedback are you getting from people in terms of you know, when you go to engage them, specifically when you talk to when you share your research with them? What kind of feedback do you get from them? It's very evident right now uh, with the work, the kind of work we are doing. You know, we 
you know, the other aspect that was missing within the space is the retrospective aspect. And this is also something I wanted to point on before I can speak about, you know, the kind of impact and the, you know, uh, impact or results you are seeing and the feedback. Um, I, th I think as civic tech innovators, there's the, there's ne the need for the retrospective aspect. You know, as uh, innovators, we are always jumping from one emergency to another, from one saga to another, yes. from misinformation to corruption to this and that, you know, to election, election misinformation, without really sitting back and looking from uh, looking at where we have come from and kind of evaluating some of the initiatives we put in place and seeing, how, are, are we creating impact? How are these things being received? Are they being reused? Things like those, it's very important. Yeah. So I must say the retrospective aspect has also come into space. But to answer your question and speak more about what results we are seeing on ground, of course, there's been much more uptake by the government. So initially, one thing we struggled with as a young organization who has been in the space for about five to six years, closing into seven, has been the government buying in. Buying in. Um, we all know that what we are trying to do is link government to the citizens. That's definitely what we are doing, really. Of course, we are doing it for the citizen, but government is a key stakeholder. Previously, we struggled yes. to get governments and buying into some of the initiatives we're doing. But I think for us, what speaks to impact is when government starts recognizing this work and also dedicating resources to support. It might not be financial, but then trying to push them on and making sure that they're scalable. For us, that has, that has been very key. Uh, to answer the question on how is the community you know, receiving some of these tools, I think we've, we've seen some of the initiatives we put in place being taken on by communities, you know, wholeheartedly saying, yeah, we love this, we are going to reuse it, you know, using some of the tools that we are designing to, you know, continue doing trainings, you know, by civil society. Uh, we, uh, for us, this makes us happy because, again, we are contributing to the body of knowledge when it comes to, you know, tackling some of these issues and bringing about social change, as opposed to, you know, getting stuck in uh, using some of the Western content that we've, we've always had when it comes to technology and data. But for us, seeing that communities are taking on the uh, the work, the initiatives we're putting out, the tools we are putting out, has really spoken so much to our impact and has, has informed our interventions moving can forward. I, can I just want to say that, you know, on this particular podcast, we're not going to cover everything our policy is doing because you guys are doing incredible work. The volume of work you're doing is amazing. And, and I do encourage people to go and, and, and put your social media platforms and, and on, on your website to go check that stuff out can you just tell people where they can find your work where they can read about the stuff that you're doing some of the collaborations you're having of course we so we are big on social media we use at policy.org policies p-o-l-l-i-c-y so policies uh a word or you know the name comes from opinion polling and policy making for us we think uh information and feedback should be at the center of policy making so that's how policy comes about so it's p-o-l-l-i-c-y on Twitter, you can find us at policy.org on Facebook, but also our website is www.policy.org. I mean, again, so much work you're doing and such incredible work, like I said, and, and I really encourage people to go to that website and, and check it out. We'll put it on the episode description. So go check it out there as well. Uh, thank you, Philip. I've loved having this conversation with you. Uh, so thank you so much. Thank you so much, Nati, for having me. That concludes this episode. Don't forget to subscribe and review the podcast and please see the episode description for all the places you can follow and engage with the Civic Tech Innovation Network. Until next time, goodbye. This podcast is brought to you by Civic Tech Innovation Network in partnership with Voice of Vits.